it's been on the show before. That was a weird way to pronounce show. The uh, show. It's been on the how. <laughs> I don't say sh- I say how. <laughs> I say hold me the money. <laughs> I'm Marin. And I'm Harry. And this is A for Effort. The show where we each bring three words or terms based on a theme that we respectively have chosen, each different from the other. And then the other person has to guess what those words mean. We then rank each guess out of five. And by rank, I mean score out of five. Count up (laughs) those scores. You get a score out of 15. And then we do a lot of complicated math to get the percentage. And we look at that percentage, figure out what letter grade that would be. (laughs) And then we apply to McGill for it to be given a credit. (laughs) All right. Last week, I went first. This week, do you, you want to go, go first, first again? Yes. Yeah. The joke we make every week. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this week I will therefore go first. All right, great. All right, so this week my theme in memoriam of Anthony Bourdain is restauranting. First term, brigade de cuisine. Okay, well, cuisine is uh, a kind of food, like True. a category of food. So you would have French cuisine, and mm-hmm. it's just like French food. Brigade has been on the show before. Yes, and what a great guest they were. <laughs> and so that time I, it was in an armed context, and a brigade was just a grouping of soldiers. Mm-hmm. So brigade de is of in French. Okay, so it's like I'm going to use it as sort of a grouping of foods. So is it just some category of similar dishes? Think about cuisine less as kinds of food and more of what the French word means. Okay, kitchen? Yes. So is it the, so then a brigade, it's a group of people who are working towards some larger task, cuisine, kitchen. So is it all of the different people who make up the crew staffing a kitchen who do their different jobs? You have like the chef and the sous chef and the pastry chef it is indeed so the brigade de cuisine is the commonly held hierarchy slash organization of the kitchen you have like the chef de cuisine at the top the sous chefs you have the sauciers you have the other people the people making desserts whatever and so it was designed by this guy named escoffier who was a french chef in the late 19th early 20th century who designed who decided to kind of codify the basic system of how french kitchens worked and one of his his codifications was his brigade de cuisine. And then he moved with his business party to a business partner to the Ritz in London and founded the Savoy restaurant. Uh, and that was where it first became haute cuisine outside of France became a big thing. Okay, so to summarize, brigade de cuisine is the established hierarchy of roles within a kitchen. Yes. Cool. Great. Number two, ghost restaurant. Okay, ghost. Well, it could be dead or non-existent or something. And a restaurant is a place where you would buy food. Mm-hmm. So a ghost restaurant, is it a very empty restaurant? Is it a restaurant that is serving as a front for something else? No, it's not that thing. Okay. Think about it in the sense that like it exists, but it doesn't. It exists, but it doesn't. A ghost And there are examples of it in Montreal that are very popular. Okay. Maybe it's ghost, like it doesn't have a physical form. And so it's only online and it's it delivers direct to customer. And the one that I think 
is very popular that you were referencing is maybe Chef on Call. It is exactly. Yeah. That's great. Way to go. I thought that was a difficult one. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Yeah. So a ghost restaurant is a restaurant that has like has a kitchen but doesn't have a dining room and it pretty much exists only to deliver or for takeout or whatever. Okay, cool. What are some other examples? In in Montreal or just in probably like pizza places. Like Domino's is a ghost yes. restaurant because you don't eat it in a Domino's. Yes, true. All right. My last one is a fun one. Okay. <laughs> Unlike those other two. Unlike those other ones which were chores. <laughs> All right. My third term is ebrious customer. Okay. A customer is someone who buys a good or service mm-hmm. either through exchange of goods or services or more likely through money. Ebrious? Yes. So basically the term is a kind of customer. Yeah. And the real word that you have to guess is ebrious. Yes, I figured. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like a metaphor or something like that. My point. <laughs> you got to think about like words which have that word in it. Like, this is a real etymological one. Yeah. The words that have the word ebrius in it? Not ebrius in it, but, like, forms of ebrius. Okay. At some point, I'll give you a hint, and I think then you'll get it. Okay. But I'd like to see you try first. Okay. I can see you struggle. (laughs) (laughs) Some word that starts with an L is jumping to mind, but I don't even know what it is. It's like... Lembrius? Lugubrious? I think so. Yes. Yeah. What does lugubrious mean? Uh, I knew it the other day. It's like... (laughs) I'm going to look it up right now because that's really going to annoy me. Lugubrious Um, is looking or sounding sad and dismal. Got it. Um, Okay. Ebrious. I just... I don't know. Okay. Uh, I'm going to bring up the word ebriate or ebriate or ebriated. Yes. Oh, inebriated. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay, an ebrious restaurant. Is that one that a serves? A customer. Oh, yes. An ebrious customer is, so ebrious intoxicated is an ebrious customer, someone who's drunk. Someone who's. Or under. Likely to become or like has a tendency to become drunk. Okay. So like it, a regular customer who always gets drunk. Yeah. Interesting. Ebrius. It comes from the Latin word ebrius, which means drunk. <laughs> then you get to inebriere, which means intoxicate. Yeah. And then inebriatus, which is Latin for like an inebriate, like an intoxicated person. Okay. And then you get to the Middle English inebriate, apparently. All right. Cool. Anyway. So to summarize, an ebrious customer is one who's likely to become drunk. Yes. Like a regular customer who always drinks too much at the restaurant. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I'll give you that one as well. <laughs> well, I mean, score that one, but I didn't. You know, there was a huge hint. I <laughs> want that to be factored in so that the grading is fair. Done. <laughs> All right. That is the end of round one. All right, round two. My theme this week is research ethics. Oh. My first term is proportional review approach. Proportional review approach. And that's with regards to... Submitting a study for an ethics review. Okay, proportional review. Depending on the size of your study, there should be a review of that size. (laughs) Like, what's the proportion? (laughs) Right, I think that's the main thing to figure out. Yes, so this is an approach to reviewing a study for its potential ethical problems. Yeah. Oh, oh may, is it something to do with the proportionality of the importance of the research to the potential ethical problems involved? Yeah, that's it exactly. Okay, nice. So it's an assessment of foreseeable risks and benefits 
of research. Cool. Yeah. So the proportional review approach is an approach to reviewing studies for ethical problems in which they look at the potential benefits and risks associated with the study to figure out whether they're proportionate. Yep. Perfect. My next term mm -hmm. is research directive. A research directive. <laughs> I think this is the most challenging. <laughs> okay. Is this a piece of paper that tells you what you're going to research? No. Piece of cardboard? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, the issue with that is the, the material. The <laughs> 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 um, A research directive. Is that something that a researcher prepares to explain, let's say, to like a potential funder or something or organizer, what they will be researching and how? It's actually written by someone participating in a study. Oh, okay. Research directive. Yeah. Do they explain their views on the... Oh, because we're talking about ethics. Yeah. So that person explains, talks about whether they found it good or bad. So it's written at the beginning okay. of a study. What they expect will happen? No. Explain their kind of do's and don'ts, i.e. what they will and won't do? Sort of. One tenet of research ethics yeah. is informed consent. and ongoing consent. So anytime new information is introduced into a study, mm -hmm. you explain it and make explicit that the participant has the opportunity to withdraw. Okay. So you have to give your consent in an ongoing fashion. Right. A research directive mm -hmm. is instructions for consent okay. written at the beginning by a participant. And so in what circumstance do you think someone would write down their consent instead of giving it in an ongoing way, verbally? If they didn't know that the research was happening, if they were being watched in a clandestine way later on. No, if, I think that would have a very... Yes. That would be... <laughs> if their mouth was covered? Nope. If they were a mouse? <laughs> yep, that's it. Let's move on. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I feel like it's very obvious, but I don't know. In what situation could a person not give active verbal consent? They're underwater. <laughs> <laughs> or just active consent. Not give active consent. If they didn't know what was going on is my main thing. So if they were unaware. An example would mm -hmm. be if you're studying early, and I think this is, you're going to get it okay. after this. So well, no pressure. that into my score. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> An example is if you're studying early onset Alzheimer's. Oh, no. If people lose the ability to understand mm -hmm. what's happening. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, that's a sad one. Yeah. I so, like better if they're underwater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if they're a mouse. This is a scuba. <laughs> scuba experiment. Yeah. So it's a research directive is instructions detailing whether one wishes to continue in a study mm. if one loses the ability to consent. Uh, so if you're in early onset Alzheimer's, if you lose the ability to consent later on because you don't understand what's going on, right. the research directive details your wishes mm -hmm. at the start of the study, knowing that that was a potential outcome, mm -hmm. like knowing that you might lose the ability to know what's going on. It has no legal status, okay. a research directive, um, but its use is in accordance with the Tri-Council Policy Statement Ethics Guidelines. Okay. Do you want to summarize? Yes. So a research directive is a document signed by a research subject in which they give future consent to continue participating in the study if and when they lose the ability to give active 
verbal or written consent. It's a document that says what to do in the case that they lose the ability to consent. It's not just you can keep going. It might be like, don't keep going. Don't keep going. Yeah. All right. Cool. Cool. My third term Mm -hmm. is study creep. Oh, this is the tendency of studies to expand in their scope. Yep. It's like mission creep. What's mission creep? Mission creep is the tendency for missions to expand in their scope. (laughs) (laughs) In what context would mission creep? Well, for instance, America invaded Afghanistan in 2003 to find nuclear weapons. Okay. They're there now still. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Their mission has changed, but it's expanded into a larger amorphous mission. And it's part of general – and part of – like um, bureaucracy theory, which is that it, like groups or departments that are founded for a specific purpose try to justify their own existence. And so like departments or missions or even like um, positions within the U.S. Army, for example, that were created to administer a certain mission try to find reasons to exist. Right. And that can lead to a mission creep in which it just continues to exist. So is that related to study creep? Yeah. I would say you you got it. Mm. When you're making relatively large changes to your research, you have to submit Mm -hmm. again uh, for ethics approval. Successive requests can significantly change the project Mm -hmm. such that it ends up being substantially different from the one that was initially approved in its entirety. All right. So study creep is when successive requests to change the topic of a study leads to a substantial eventual accumulative change yes all right cool great that is the end of round two All right. Do you have your scores? I oh, have my scores. yeah. I got my scores. Do you have your scores? <laughs> I do have my scores. Do you have your scores? Yeah, I got my scores. How are your scores looking? Done? <laughs> so similar to mine then because yeah. <laughs> mine are also done. All right. Do you want to go first? Yes. So, Brigade de Cuisine, I gave you five out of five. Sweet. Ghost Restaurant, I gave you five out of five. <laughs> yeah, cool. And Ebrius Customer, <laughs> I gave you three out of five. <laughs> okay, cool. That amounts to... 13 out of 15, which is 86.666 repeating percent. (laughs) All right. For proportional approach, 5 out of 5. Nice. For research directive, 3 out of 5. Nice. (laughs) For study creep, 5 out of 5. Nice. Which also amounts to 13 out of 15, 86.66666 repeating percent. Repeating percent. (laughs) Percent, 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 percent. (laughs) All right. My terms this week came from the Tri-Council Policy Statement Ethics Training, which I uh, did because I am volunteering in a lab, and I will link it in the description if you are interested in in looking at it. Mm. My terms are as a result of the untimely death of Anthony Bourdain. Um, They are from generally just Googling and researching on the internet terms about restaurants and things like that, but I would recommend you read his book, Kitchen Confidential, which is very good. All right, cool. A for Effort is hosted and produced by me, Mairead. And me, Harry. And is edited by me, Mairead. But not me, Harry. (laughs) You can find the show on iTunes. Please subscribe and leave a review. That would be great. And if you'd like to get into contact with us, you can send an email to aforeffortcast at gmail.com. We read every one and we love them. (laughs) True. Also, we're compiling a list of questions for a future endeavor. So if you have any, if you've ever wondered anything about the show. Yeah, questions about the show, not just... (laughs) (laughs) 
we're compiling a list of, of the universe's most interesting questions. <laughs> um, so if you have any questions about the show, if you have any questions about Harry, if you have any questions about me, if you have any questions about general things, we're compiling this list of questions. So hit us with them. Also past topics as well. Yes. Yeah. Any questions about past topics? Literally, you can ask us anything. And again, that's a for cast at gmail.com. Other than that, we'll be back next week. See you then. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>